0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Mental Health Explained. This episode is about trauma in men and its impact on relationships. And I have the privilege of talking to clinical psychologist, Dr. Casey Taft, PhD. I think that this is a helpful conversation for any man to listen to, as well as anyone who cares about the boys and men in their lives. Dr. Casey Taft, PhD, is a clinical psychologist in Massachusetts. Amongst his many accolades, he is a psychologist at the National Center for PTSD in the VA Boston Healthcare System, a professor of psychiatry at Boston University School of Medicine, and the primary developer of Strength at Home programs. The Strength at Home programs are trauma-informed programs aimed at helping individuals resolve issues of interpersonal violence. For over a decade, Dr. Taft and the Strength at Home programs have committed to helping men and women work through trauma and mental health issues to have healthier relationships and lives. I asked Dr. Taft if he could describe the Strength at Home programs for listeners, what its purpose is, how it helps individuals, couples, and families. It is an effective program with a very important mission, and I want listeners to learn about it first. And then, after his description, we're going to start the interview.
1: Yeah, so the Strength Goal program is a program we started probably close to 15 years ago or so, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit less. Originally, we developed with funding um, from the Department of Defense to do this program with military veterans, returning veterans who at the time there were a lot of media reports about family plot problems and returning veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan and, and violent problems with violence in particular in relationships. And we also had some funding from the CDC to develop more couples based violence prevention approaches. So we were doing, we developed these programs. We had a team of experts in trauma and violence and couples work, you know, all getting together and putting these programs together. Uh, running pilot groups to see how how the program would be received and that sort of thing for for many years and doing clinical trials. Um, the idea being to, to develop something that would be trauma-informed, where we talk about the role of trauma, You know what you and I are talking about here, we incorporate mm-hmm. it into the program. And also evidence-based, where mm-hmm. we evaluate the program through randomized controlled trials, is these kinds of programs – historically have not really undergone rigorous trials to see how effective they are. Mm-hmm. So we want to develop something that would be considered evidence-based. Um, so, so yeah, so these are programs, they're group programs, group interventions, they're motivational in that we use components of motivational interviewing and, um, and they're trauma-informed, as I mentioned, so we talk about the role of trauma throughout. And these kinds of programs are, there's all different kinds of programs out there in the community for court-ordered folks who have engaged in domestic violence. Um, And our program, I would say, is different than the standard program in that it does incorporate the role of trauma more, it does tend to be more motivational. The groups are smaller than in our group, in our program, as they usually are. So they're small groups. Um, we emphasize cohesion among group members, the therapeutic relationship with the, with the providers. Um, the relationships developed in the group are very important for bringing about change where you have group members who are very supportive of each other, but will also openly challenge each other, mm. um, and, you know behaviors and thoughts that you know that may be you know part of the part of the problem um and we talk about you know a lot of the standard things these programs talk about like how to de-escalate situations before they get too far out of control how to express feelings more effectively how to show somebody you're listening there's a heavy focus on assertiveness training because a lot of our group members, tend to be overly passive in relationships. They keep their feelings in. They don't set boundaries or limits with other people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um they don't tell other people how they feel. And oftentimes they feel like other people are mistreating them or walking all over them and, yeah. and they don't say anything about it. They they don't kind of state their needs. They have a real hard time expressing their feelings. <clears throat> so a good part of the program is helping them be more assertive by telling others how they feel, what their needs are, what their boundaries and limits are and that kind of thing. So that's, that's an important part of it too. Um, And we've now done a number of different studies on the program, both programs, the couples program too, and have shown that it's effective. So it's, these are the only programs that have been shown through clinical trials to be effective with military populations, veterans and service members. And we're now doing studies in civilians where we've also shown them to be effective, though we haven't finished our you know, a big randomized control trial yet, but we have good evidence that the program seems to work similarly well in civilians.
0: Now we are going to begin the interview. I want to note to listeners, especially men, that it is important that you're aware that no matter what behaviors you're showing, no matter what feelings you have, much of the information discussed will likely resonate and be helpful to many, many men and the people who love them. So with that... We're going to begin the conversation about men, trauma, and its impact on men's relationships. The topic is trauma and men and its impact on relationships. The first question I have for you is what is trauma? Trauma is a word used very frequently not just in clinical circles, but also in just casually in relation in relationships and in conversations. And it's, it's a word that is now in our vernacular, clinically speaking, what is trauma? And how do we define that? That's a really good question. And it's one where um, probably if
1: you ask, you know, 10 different people, you'll get 10 different answers about that. It's one that in the
0: DSM has changed over the years, too. The DSM is an abbreviation for the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, which is the manual psychologists and psychiatrists use to diagnose patients for treatment. It is developed by the American Psychiatric Association. It provides guidelines for diagnosing mental health disorders. For your reference, there is a diagnosis in the DSM that Dr. Tapp and I refer to many times in this episode. It is called Post Traumatic Stress Disorder. And it is commonly abbreviated as PTSD. So if you hear that during the episode, that is the diagnosis that we are referring to. Now we're going to continue with the interview where we talk about how that diagnosis has changed in the latest iteration of the DSM.
1: You know, not everybody agrees with, with the way that it's changed. Like in the most recent iteration of it, it's changed in that it's included more um, secondary kind of trauma, like where you don't have to experience it directly, but if you hear it from another person, you're exposed to it in some way, mm-hmm. a, a negative event um, that's kind of outside of the normal human experience. Um, so generally speaking though, trauma is something that again is outside of our normal range of experience and that, um, we find it difficult to fit into our our kind of schemas or thoughts about the world. Mm-hmm. And um, it's become so difficult to integrate that it causes some of the, you know, some problems that we might experience, trauma-related symptoms, PTSD symptoms, that sort of thing. Um, I, I, I usually define trauma a little more broadly than the DSM defines it where, I also think things like psychological abuse are traumatic mm-hmm. um, patterns of abuse, even if it's not physical violence because the DSM emphasizes you know physical trauma and exposure to injury and death and that sort of thing. Yeah. but we know from the research literature and domestic violence that psychological abuse can be every bit as harmful. Uh, as physical abuse, in some cases, some research shows it to lead to more negative outcomes, including PTSD, mm-hmm. physical health problems, and other things. Mm-hmm. So psychological abuse, you know, which is often invo- inclu- happens alongside other forms of abuse, and kind of, but tends to be more ubiquitous, where the psychological abuse is just happening all the time. It's a, a larger pattern that completely surrounds the person. Um, that can cause really significant problems for them. Similarly with childhood abuse, uh, neglect, you know, also is very harmful for kids, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as is abuse. So I, I think, you know, the way that we think about, I I think about trauma differently, partly because in the field that I'm in, I know some of these other, you know, non-physical forms of violence can be just as harmful um, some also would argue, and this is a more controversial area, but some also would argue that we should include uh, like racial trauma in our definitions of trauma, you know, yeah. racism and discrimination that people experience. Yeah. That's, not, that's not in the DSM either, but some would argue that that is traumatic also and leads to similar outcomes is more obvious physical trauma. So that's something where, you know, there's opinions all over the place on that. And there's really no... No lobby that I'm aware of that's trying to make that part of the DSM, but certainly, certainly I would consider it trauma regardless. Absolutely. So, yeah, so it, it's, it could be broadly defined or narrowly defined. I tend to view it a little more broadly, I think, than like the DSM
0: would. Yeah. And then you mentioned with symptoms. So, if a person experiences something in their life, how do they know if this is, if this has resonated with them in a really harmful way if this is traumatizing what kind of symptoms do people experience when they are traumatized mm-hmm.
1: well when i when i think of trauma related symptoms i usually think of ptsd because that's you know the um, the most obvious example and it's a trauma related disorder in the dsm now also uh, so if for example you're having nightmares about traumatic events, if you're having intrusive thoughts that you would rather not be having, if you're finding that you're spending a significant amount of your time avoiding things that remind you of the trauma or talking about the trauma or avoiding other people, or if you generally kind of feel disconnected from other people, or if you feel, if you find yourself having just generally an overly hostile attributional bias, right, where you assume, that other people you know might do harm to you or you feel kind of on edge all the time and busy phys- physically kind of reactive or angry those kinds of things those are all signs that that the trauma may be kind of affecting your you kind of emotionally mentally that sort of thing
0: it sounds like it could impact people differently depending on the person
1: yeah absolutely and
0: everybody it yeah it, it manifests
1: differently. And some people are more resilient in the face of trauma; they don't experience problems, and other people do. And for some people, it might it it might create problems. For example, with like trusting other people. For other people, it might affect their self-esteem. For others, it might they might develop kind of power and control kind of issues. Uh, it kind of depends on the nature of the trauma. Um, and probably you know a lot of other things too but it's different it's different for everybody and it doesn't necessarily you know need to lead to a diagnosis of ptsd for example to cause mm. the person you know difficulties um pretty much anybody who experiences trauma it's going to affect the way you view the world in some way or another mm. um, but it's not necessarily diagnosable but it's you know, like all of us as human beings, you know, experience things in our, li- in our lives that change the way we view the world that might, you know, where, we're so, you know, sometimes we we grow from them and change in positive ways. Other times it creates kind of sensitivities, right? Yeah. Where we know like this is, you know, because of like what I experienced at this time, I know this is a sensitive topic for me, or I tend to be a little bit more reactive, you know, in these kinds of situations.
0: So it's, it's really different for for everybody you mentioned resiliency factors and you mentioned maybe things that I, when you said that my mind turned to protect almost protective factors, things that might help a person, you know, manage these uh, effects of, of trauma or effects of uh, negative events. Do you know of any of the, the factors that might help a person get through these tough times? Yeah, I think the, the, the one that is, uh
1: probably come up more than any other one in research has been social support. Mm. You know, the more support we have from family members, peers, the more resilient we are in in the face of trauma. So that's certainly, that's certainly very important. And also, I think, you know, the number of traumas we experience over the course mm-hmm. of our lives for those, you know, many folks where when, after you experience one trauma, you may be, you have a higher likelihood to experience other forms of trauma. So, for folks who experience multiple traumas they're obviously at greater risk than others yeah um, yeah and I, and I think the nature of the trauma too like if it involves direct you know if it involves somebody that we that we thought we could trust for example mm-hmm. that, that is also you know uh, you know make, makes it more challenging so yeah i mean I, I think those are probably some just a handful of kind of important resilience or risk factors
0: i also wonder if if you i mean you kind of touched on this but if you experience one significant event a giant hurricane or a tidal wave or something like that or some natural disaster um you think about the earthquake in Haiti or something like that uh versus somebody who experiences trauma on more of a daily basis or on more of a a weekly basis trusted mm-hmm. loved ones or trusted person um i wonder if and, and you did mention this, the nature of it mm-hmm. uh, makes a difference.
1: It does, yeah. Some of the early research on trauma in military veterans is pretty interesting that um, forms of trauma, for example, in a combat zone that were more like daily hassles that a certain military member was experiencing, uh, just challenges in like daily life, mm. stressors and that sort of thing was shown to be kind of as traumatic or as likely to lead to PTSD as like exposure to combat. So a lot of these things, if they're we're experiencing them on a daily basis and they're really stressful for us and ongoing, that can be as harmful as, as specific kind of discrete traumatic events. So I think there is something to be said for, yeah, if we're just kind of living in it and, and encountering these things daily, even if the severity isn't necessarily the same, it could still have a really major impact, and that again kind of goes back to the definition of trauma. You know, where the DSM is focusing more specifically on kind of life threatening kind of events, yeah. but we know like the daily stressors and the you know kind of daily things we experience can also be you know very harmful too.
0: Yeah, and I feel like we're gonna get back on that because we're gonna talk about issues in the home and issues, you know, with individuals who, who not only have experienced trauma, but who are in a family and in a relationship with people who, who might be going through these symptoms and and have emotional dysregulation issues. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to talking about that later. I do have a thought, though, is that, you know, and this is, you know, transitioning into talking about men, you know, specifically one of the resilient when we were talking about resiliency factors, one of the things that popped into my mind is I thought to myself, how different must I, I wonder how different it is for people who grew up in environments or in social conditions where they're taught about emotions, they're taught to talk about emotions, they're encouraged to form deep relationships they're shown that sharing and communicating issues and things that are hurtful is not a problem. It's not an issue that it's encouraged, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things I listed are actually pretty opposite of what we're taught as men in this society. (laughs) So pretty unfortunate. So I'm wondering, is there any literature? And what are your thoughts about men in this society that experience these difficulties and the way that our society is is raises men. Do <clears throat> you think it has an impact on the way that men respond to trauma? Right. Yeah, it's interesting. As you were saying that, I was thinking about my own
1: groups that I run, and yeah. mostly with men. Although I do, I do run groups with women too. Um, mo- most, mostly with folks who've been court ordered for a domestic violence incident and one of our sessions talks about this where we're asking about the roots of folks uh, anger expression style how they learn to express anger and other emotions over the course of their lives yeah so when we ask them this question you know how did your parents express anger what did they teach you about how to deal with other feelings like fear sadness anxiety helplessness etc um almost invariably the group will say i was taught to either keep in my feelings to kind of suck it up you know to be a man you don't talk about your feelings right because you don't want to make yourself vulnerable to other people if other people think you're weak they'll take advantage of you and you know you know in some you know places where people grow up you know I, there's some validity to that right where if you yeah. show weakness you could be a target you know from, from others <clears throat> um or they're taught to be aggressive right so they're taught the extremes of how to deal with anger where you keep it in and you suck it up or you express it aggressively yeah but almost never in this session does a group member tell me i was taught to express my feelings you know assertively and clearly and right. then that, that i i don't know that i've ever had a client say that's the way they grew up or it would be very rare yeah um, so almost Every, and I've seen hundreds, maybe even thousands of, of clients in these groups, almost always the theme emerges that throughout the course of their lives, they've been taught to either keep everything in and stuff and stuff and stuff, everything, mm-hmm. or to let it all out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very rarely, if ever, do they say, I was taught to the importance of expressing my feelings, you know, my feelings underneath the anger, not just the anger, but feeling sad or scared or that sort of, that sort of thing. So I do think that's a huge issue. Uh, Something we've also seen in our program and some of the research we've done in our program called the Strength at Home program is that um, that seems to be one of the reasons why people seem to get better in our group, why they seem to improve Mm -hmm. in their relationships. They become less abusive is because in our our groups we see a a reduction in their problems with identifying, expressing their feelings. Mm -hmm. So our data suggests that them getting more comfortable with their feelings and expressing them more may be really one of the reasons why they're ending their violence or ending abuse in relationships, just because they get, they get better at dealing with feelings.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so funny that, you know, as somebody who i work with young men a lot and I talk to them about assertiveness all the time. I talk to them, they say there's aggression, there's assertiveness, there's passive aggressive, and then there's passive. Mm -hmm. And I found something really interesting, which is sort of there's this pattern that doesn't neatly fit into any of those, which is passive, 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 passive until it builds up and then aggressive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's not passive aggressive. Passive aggressive is very different. Uh, which is more of a uh, more of an indirect kind of uh, way of getting at people that that that, that's that doesn't describe it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's a way of it's almost like the walls are put up is there's a wall between them and others Mm -hmm. until things are so difficult inside that it's hard to handle. And then it's like, how do you handle it in an emotional way that's not really thought out? that right. is often characterized as aggressive Of have noticed right. yeah i'd say that's one of the
1: most common patterns that we see in folks who get sent to us is exactly what you just said yeah and they may think that they're doing good right they're by being passive exactly. because they're not being aggressive and they think i'm doing well i'm doing a good job i let it go i didn't say anything um but in the long run that's really not ideal right yeah. that's really not healthy because and also you're not really being respectful of yourself. So mm-hmm. when we talk about being assertive, we talk about it being, we're being respectful of the other person because we're not being aggressive towards them. We're not putting them down, but we're also um, we're also being respectful of ourselves by not carrying around a bunch of hurt feelings and mm-hmm. frustrations and feeling like others are mistreating us. So that's, that's the way I like to think of being assertive. You're being respectful of yourself and, and the other person.
0: I work with kids too. I work with boys, which is such a privilege because then you kind of get to catch boys at an early age before they get to this stage where it's difficult to, to rework patterns. Um, and what I tell boys, young boys, is um, I say, you know how in class you have show and tell? And they go, yeah. And I'm like, it's think about this. If you don't tell your feelings, you end up showing them. Ah, so like you, that. you have a choice you could show or you can tell
1: mm-hmm.
0: and right. it's like what do you think would be better if i get mad do you think i should show it and punch somebody in the face and they're like no and i'm like okay well then i'll tell it you know mm-hmm. instead of showing i, I really like it. yeah the way you put that that's really you, good you could take it you could take okay. it okay <laughs> yeah, it's
1: yeah, it's true. And it's the same thing with trauma, right? Where you can try to avoid dealing with it. You can try to like stuff it away. and But eventually it comes out. Whether it's yeah. the in your thoughts or your dreams. The same kind of thing here with, with the feelings. You can try to stuff it down. But eventually it'll come out. And yeah. not, not necessarily in a good way.
0: Yeah. What's interesting is that. And, and I think you covered a, most of it. But I think uh, what's interesting is that it's, there's a priming. Of not priming per se, but there's a way that men are taught to handle feelings already mm-hmm. that, that is, is, becomes very problematic and difficult as, as time goes on, whether or not it's in the business or whether or not it's in the relationships or not. Then we add trauma. Mm-hmm. How does then trauma change the way that you've seen a lot of men interact with the world and with themselves Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and and i think you're right in how when you say talking with younger kids and younger boys it's Mm -hmm. the same general idea and the same model can be used for boys and men it's i think the same kind of processes a model that's that i use for my own work and that i think is relevant regardless of who we're talking about is called the social information processing model Okay. And the idea there is that we take in our social world through a series of stages and we respond to our, our environment through a series of stages. And the first stage is um, in, where you're decoding the situation. So you're trying to determine other people's intentions, you know, and trying to figure out what's going on in a situation and in children, there's been a lot of research on this. Uh, Ken Dodge is one of the leading research o- researchers on this, that when kids experience violence growing up, when they experience trauma, they're more likely to assume the worst in other people, including their peers. Yeah. So when they go to school, they're more likely to act out and have problems with aggression and violence um, because they are, make more negative assumptions about their peers. Right? They assume their peers aren't on their side or are out to get them and that kind of thing. And this is a model that was developed for children, but now we're applying the same model to adults because it's the same thing.
0: Mm. So
1: the folks that we work with, if they've experienced trauma and violence, are more likely to have overly hostile interpretations and attributions about the world where they assume that other people aren't on their side. They assume that their partners are trying to push their buttons or or out to get them, or are cheating on them, or you know whatever the case may be, and of course when you make these kind of negative assumptions about other people, uh, it's you're gonna be more likely to respond more you know aggressively to situations, and often that's when you know controlling, coercive kind of behaviors come in too. If you think your partner isn't on your side, or is out to get you, or is going to do something to hurt you. Um, They're more likely to then try to keep them closer or control them or, you know, engage in, you know, emotional abuse, physical abuse and and that sort of thing. Um, So that's, that's one kind of important way that that I think trauma can contribute to that. But also through some of these core issues that we were talking about a little bit earlier. So if we experience trauma, it's going to make it harder for us to trust other people especially if somebody's betrayed us or abused us growing up or otherwise Uh, it can affect how we feel about ourselves we know you know obviously when people experience abuse and trauma it affects their ideas you know of self-worth and that kind of thing and we know that self-esteem low self-esteem leads to problems in relationships too for all kinds of reasons and uh, can lead to power and control kind of struggles we feel powerless we experience trauma. Some people kind of accommodate for that by controlling those closest to them. Yeah so there's all different kind of ways that trauma can play out and increase risk for for abuse. I mean that, that's it with some of the ways, but
0: um, I can imagine it to be this cycle. and I, i'm I'm wondering if this is this is so. I can imagine it being this cycle of experiencing these symptoms, things being out of control. And then feeling ashamed about oneself that they're experiencing the symptoms in the first place and that their environment is getting worse because of these symptoms, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like the shame of, Oh, why am I doing this? Or why is this happening to me? Or I'm not, I'm not strong enough to get over it. I'm noticing yeah. my wife is acting differently. It's is it because of me. And, you know, all of these effects of experiencing these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. There was a, a a theorist many years ago who described aggression as a manifestation of shame, that shame mm-hmm. and aggression are really closely kind of related to each other. And that when we experience shame, for some people, it's those feelings are so aversive. I mean, shame is such an aversive emotion for people to feel yeah. that they often... And, you know, it's often connected with a lot of other negative feelings and, you know, thoughts about ourselves that's so aversive that sometimes folks almost project project that outward rather than really uh, experiencing those feelings and working through it and understanding it, they project it outwards in the form of aggression. Yeah. Uh, so they'll argue that that shame is directly tied to aggression. The more shame we feel, the more aggressive folks tend to be. Um And it's certainly something that i have heard in in the sessions that i've done where i'll have group members say you know i grew up in an abusive home my father was abusive to my mother and i always told myself i was going to be different than that you know and and here i am having some of these problems myself getting court ordered to you know do this kind of counseling um And I feel, you know, I feel a lot of guilt and shame for that. I feel, I feel guilt or shame for what I did. And I think, without without them really working through that and talking about it, I think it can it can be kind of a cycle where it contributes to their, you know, problematic behavior in the relationship, which leads to more shame, and and it kind of yeah, it could be a cycle there unless you give them a way to openly talk about it. So that's actually a question that I'll ask our group members from time to time, You know, especially if they're showing a lot of denial and minimization of abusive behavior they might be engaging in in the relationship. I, I might ask them, what makes it hard to talk about this stuff? Like what makes it hard to talk about what you've done in the relationship? What makes it hard to talk about abusive behavior in relationships? If you can get them to say, you know, my, my father was abusive and I never wanted to be like that. I never wanted to be like my father. And he, here I am doing the same things. And I I feel really bad about that. I feel a lot of shame for what I did. I feel shame for hurting, you know, my, my partner, my wife, my husband, et cetera. Um, yeah. that, those are important conversations to have with, in the therapy context. It's
0: so, it's so deep. It's so deep. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of men that listen to this that are This really deeply resonates with them and and it's hard to it's it's sometimes hard to even hear it hear it and then feel that resonation of of a heal and to feel those emotions when it resonates with you as we're having this conversation i want to point out to listeners that oftentimes we talk about trauma manifesting as outward aggression So many men, though, hold back from having their trauma impact other people. I've noticed that many of these men then turn all of their pain against themselves. Perfectionism, self-shaming, self-destructive behaviors, and a lingering feeling of not being good enough all exemplify this. You might be listening to this and say, I've experienced so much, but... I do my best to treat other people well. And I ask you this, how do you treat yourself? In your thoughts, in your perceptions of yourself, how you act, how is your relationship with yourself? As we head into the next section, which is about steps that men can take, I want you to consider this, and not just think that trauma manifests itself as outward aggression. That aggression can easily turn inward. But then it doesn't just impact us individually, it affects our relationships as well. Next, we are going to get back to the interview, where I ask what people can do if they can't reach the Strength at Home program. I also want to tell listeners that much of Dr. Taft's response is also applicable to any person that has gone through trauma and is noticing that it has impacted their relationships. If a man isn't able to reach your program, what are some first steps that they can do to get better?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. But in terms of what folks could do, well, one, I, I would say they could reach out to us, like, yeah. like just sure. strike their home website. And but beyond that, you know, I think doing some kind of work and I, and I do think you know, with a provider, ideally, it would be in groups if there is kind of a a group that you know is trauma informed, evidence-based, that sort of thing. because I because there is something about getting the perspective of others and getting support of others who are going through similar things is very helpful. Um, but I, I think the most the first step and the most important step is, to develop insight into one's problems, right, and and one's kind of core themes, like we've been talking about, mm-hmm. and to really reflect on how did I learn these behaviors, um, how has it manifest itself, mm-hmm. you know, do has it has what I went through contributed to difficulties, yeah, trusting other people, you know, has it affected my self esteem, has it led to these power and control kind of issues. Um, help them think about issues of guilt and shame uh, and really think about what did I learn growing up? You know, what did my parents teach me about how to deal with anger and other emotions? And, you know, am I being assertive in relationships? Yeah. And that's where they to really try to gain in, The first step of course is always to gain insight into how we might, I might've learned something that's causing problems. Right. And what I need to kind of unlearn what I need to relearn. Um, So that's really the first step and to really set goals. I mean, obviously, setting goals is the most critical thing, like not only to remain non abusive, but also what are the problems that's contributing to it? And for some, it might be to be more assertive and less passive. Mm. For others, it might be to express my feelings better or to listen to other people better Mm. or to de-escalate a situation, to take a time out before I get too far out of control. And those are all things that one can work on for themselves. Um, They can work on if they have a therapist, the therapist can help them work through these things or a group. Yeah. For some of our clients, it's really, it's really just, it could be one thing that makes a difference for them. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily, you know, like, so in our program, we have 12 sessions. It's not necessarily like they need to learn. They need to incorporate every single thing we talk about into their lives for some people it's just one thing you know Uh, and they might say now when i notice i'm starting to get upset i take a break and i cool off and i think about what i want to say and then i go back and we talk about it instead of me blowing it up and that can make all the difference like that's what they needed to learn for others it might be a moment of insight where they realize okay you know I i learned to be this way because observing." You know, my father doing this and I get I get reinforced for engaging in abuse in this way. This is what I get from it. But it's causing me problems. So I just have to learn a different way. It's, it's um, I, I just have to learn. You know, this isn't working for me. And, you know, the, their light bulb goes off in their head and that's it You know for them. Um, so and we see this in our groups that often, you know, as we're going through the sessions, you'll have a group member just have that aha moment that makes all the difference for them. Yes. And, um, and that's, you know, it could just be one thing. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to change 10 different things. It could be one or two things that really helps them have a healthier relationship for some of them. It's like, I'm really making an effort to try to see my partner in a more positive way to not assume the worst in them. Mm -hmm. And that could be it for them. Right. Um, so it's different for everybody, but, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to, they don't have to necessarily get, you know, 20 different concepts in order to make a change.
0: It's hard for most men to seek help. Feelings of shame and embarrassment, or feeling doubts in what mental health help can will do or can do, might make anyone hesitant to reach out. It doesn't matter what behaviors you're showing, and if you're exhibiting aggression or not, if you are resonating with anything. Dr. Taft and I are talking about, please think about reaching out for help. Individual therapy, group therapy, counseling of many different types including substance abuse counseling, trauma treatment, counseling for depression and anxiety, have been shown to affect and help men in a very positive way. None of us, no man, wants to experience these symptoms. None of us want to have these feelings. Search psychology today at psychologytoday.com, which is all one word. Search that for therapists. Ask your PCP for referrals. Or even a simple Google search for therapists in your area can be the first step in changing the trajectory of your life. Next, I'm going to ask a question to Dr. Taft about something I think is absolutely critical. You know, we've talked about abuse during this conversation. I don't think it would be just of me to not ask the following question for listeners who are concerned about the behaviors that might be happening in their home. I want to phrase this in a really good way. I am really aware of how um concerning, uncomfortable, and and really scary it can be for people in the family. Mm-hmm. Uh that are that are not the men, the the women in the family, the kids in the family. You, you're actively you you and your program are really doing great work and actively trying to help men become better men. Um men become more healthy, become more safe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What are the resources for the women, in the families, and the partners in the families? It could be the uh, a spouse that's a man. It could be it could be whatever. Right. What are the resources?
1: Of course, you know why we do this work is to help the families, right? Not only do we want to help men improve their lives, but we also want to make sure nobody experiences abuse, right? That ultimately, um, this is to end violence. You know to the benefit of those who may have been experiencing um, the abuse and part of our program. And I think other kind of other good programs out there is outreach to the partners to uh, go over safety planning with them to give them resources for counseling, mm-hmm. shelter services, hotline numbers, um, that sort of thing. So that that is a regular part of what we do. Is that we reach out to the partners and give them access to you know, all those kind of resources if they want. Now, some of the partners don't want to talk to anybody, you know, about about their abuse, and they don't want to talk, you know, talk to us, and that's okay. Uh, but we try, we try to reach them before and after the program. Um, so there are, there are, you know, of course, you know, a lot of resources out there for those who are experiencing violence um, that we try to make help make them aware of.
0: It makes sense. It's, it sounds like from what you said, you know, hotlines are out there. Of course, the the law enforcement is there to help. Um, there are shelters. There are uh, different resources out there in terms of uh, counselors and mental health resources in order to help, as well as your program uh, does outreach. Uh, so the program itself that's helping the men is is trying to help the women and the kids too, as well
1: right right. Mm-hmm. yeah now some some areas have more resources than others so um but i'd say a good place to start would be to call the domestic violence hotline okay it's a good place to start to ask about resources in in one's local area you know, to get help and there are domestic violence centers in you know most cities and towns where one could get help as well um often providing legal services, shelter services, counseling, that sort of thing.
0: I wanted to discuss two points regarding this topic. During this episode, at times we refer to relationships as just women and men. Of course it extends to same-sex couples and all LGBTQ relationships, as well as all relationships. Any individual and any member of a family who is concerned about violent behavior can reach out for help. Second, is I want to give listeners some resources if they are seeking help with domestic violence. The number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800 799 7233. Again, that's 800 799 7233. Also, to find domestic violence centers, you can go to the website DomesticShelters.org. And within Massachusetts, the mass.gov website has a page called List of Domestic Violence Services by Massachusetts County. Lastly, and I'm going to say this at the end too, the Strength at Home program is a resource for you. And its website is strengthathome.org. All one word. One of the things that I think is important is that men are talking about change, and uh, and you and I are talking about this is good. I think good for you and I to talk and to say this is something that's really important. Uh, I think yeah. it's big. So is there anything else? I I I first of all, thank you for your time. No, this
1: is fun. It's it's nice to you know have somebody to talk about this stuff with. It's not something that that we often get the chance to do. So it's yeah, it was really good talking to you.
0: Thank you so much to Dr. Casey Taft for having this conversation that I think is going to help out a lot of people. Once again, to reach him and his program Strength at Home, go to strengthathome.org. That's all one word. As always, blessings and thank you so much for listening.